Hey, Cricket customers, Max with ads is included with your Cricket $60 unlimited plan at no additional cost. Nice! Max is the streaming platform where you can watch Scoob, Meg 2 The Trench, The Nightmare on Elm Street Collection, and so much more. Remember me. Just log in with your Cricket username and password to experience Max on all your favorite devices. We've never seen this before. Max, the one to watch for a good scream with Cricket. Yeah! Phone plan, streams, and standard definition. Programming subject to change. Fees, terms, and restrictions apply. See cricketwireless.com for details. It's Tuesday, August 23rd, 2022. I'm Jackson Bird. Today, Omicron-specific COVID boosters are coming to the U.S. soon. How much of a difference will they make to immunity? Well, it's complicated. Plus, NASA says Artemis 1 is go for launch. Here's everything to know about the big event on Monday. And MoviePass is officially coming back from the dead next month. Here's some cool stuff for your ride home. In just a few weeks here in the U.S., we will have new Omicron-specific COVID booster shots, and a CDC spokesperson says that they'll be available for anyone ages 12 and up who already completed their primary vaccination series. So you can't get them as your first ever shot, but you don't necessarily have to have had any other booster previously. Similar to the Omicron boosters approved in the United Kingdom last week, the upcoming shots from Pfizer are bivalent. That is, they target both the original COVID strain and the Omicron BA5 subvariant. The CDC says that one should be available soon, while a similar shot from Moderna will likely be available in October. The UK booster is also made by Moderna and actually targets the Omicron subvariant BA1, not BA5. So it's a little different than what the US will be getting. The US Food and Drug Administration advised vaccine makers to focus on BA4 and BA5 in hopes that when a winter surge inevitably brings a new variant, 4 and 5 will at least be a little closer in the evolution than BA1 would be. But just how much does it matter getting a booster that targets specific newer variants? Immunologists are a bit split, quoting the Washington Post. Companies showed preliminary data that vaccines containing the BA4 and BA5 versions of the virus can trigger stronger immune responses in the weeks after vaccination. But the advantage of a switch was modest, and the long-term effects of those vaccines will depend in part on whether they help create new memories. If they simply provide a short-term boost of the existing memory response, many scientists are debating a change in vaccine strategy. This is not, in my mind, going to be the dramatic change to limit symptomatic Omicron infection, said Robert Sater, chief of the Cellular Immunology Section at the National Institute of Allergy and Infectious Diseases. Sater showed in a primate study this year that an Omicron booster did no better than an additional shot of the original vaccine. He's focused his efforts on a change in tactics, such as a nasal vaccine that could help block infections and spread of the virus, end quote. But other immunologists like Rafi Ahmed of Emory University say these Omicron-based boosters are urgently needed, telling the Post, quote, there's no point continuing to vaccinate someone with a strain that is not circulating, 
end quote. And at play, in part, is the issue of our immune system's memory, so to speak. Debates are ongoing among scientists about how and how much the particular strain we were first exposed to can affect our immunity to other strains going forward. And even when there's a subvariant that makes up 90% of cases in a given area, that doesn't mean that even every person in that area gets infected. And over two and a half years into this pandemic, we all have completely different immunological histories based on which variants we caught or which versions of vaccines and boosters we got. It's all related to original antigenic sin, and despite the hellfire and brimstone name, it's typically a neutral or even helpful phenomenon. As Washington University immunologist Ali Elabedi said, quote, It's not a sin, it's a natural progression of our immune response. We shouldn't think of it as a glitch. End quote. What original antigenic sin really means is that our immune systems remember the version of a pathogen they were first exposed to. So here's a good non-COVID example from the post that I've mentioned previously on the show. Quote, More than 60 years ago, a virologist named Thomas Francis Jr. observed that influenza infections in childhood had lifelong repercussions. For decades after, people's immune systems carry an imprint from their first flu, activating defenses primarily against the original version of the virus they encountered. He called it the doctrine of original antigenic sin. In flu, the immunological echoes of original antigenic sin have real consequences. When flu strains are similar to the ones encountered in childhood, people are better protected against severe illness. The 1918 flu pandemic was caused by an H1N1 strain, which continued to circulate for decades afterwards. When the 2009 H1N1 pandemic occurred, older people who were exposed to H1N1 in childhood had stronger immune responses than younger people who'd been infected with other strains. When a flu strain is a more distant relative of that initial exposure, people may be more susceptible. End quote. So, that original antigenic sin can really help you if you happen to encounter the same strain you were first exposed to. At least, it seems to, anyhow. But now, as COVID variants continue to emerge, it's more likely you'll be reinfected with a new variant versus the same one you were before, if you're one of the unlucky people who gets COVID multiple times. So, if left to its own devices based on getting infected back in the beta or delta days or your first vaccine dose in early 2021, your immune system may not be as equipped to fight Omicron BA5. Retuning these new boosters to give your immune system that extra roadmap for the newer variants then may be the way to go. And it doesn't seem like anyone really thinks it won't help at all. It's just a matter of if it really helps enough to make the big effort worth it. Quoting again from the post, What scientists don't know yet is what happens in the weeks and months after an infection or new vaccine. One possibility, the immune system creates a new memory of the new variant, and the next time a descendant of Omicron comes along, the body can draw from an expanded memory bank to mount its next defense. Another, more worrisome scenario, the fast-draw immune response interferes with the creation of new memories. The next time a version of the virus comes along, the body simply reactivates the existing response, and eventually, a variant comes along that is so changed it's unrecognizable." End quote. Part of the problem, as has been for the whole pandemic, is that COVID is still so new that we just don't know. 
Original antigenic sin is helpful in certain cases for the flu, but the post points out that it can actually be harmful for viruses like dengue, with repeated infections potentially causing more severe outcomes in that case. Now, that doesn't seem to be the case with COVID, but exactly how original antigenic sin does play out with COVID is at least a slight mystery still. Another vaccine booster, especially the upcoming bivalent ones, certainly won't hurt you, though. And experts are saying, in preparation for cooler weather surges, just get any kind of booster. Even if you can only get one of the older boosters, do it. If you are eligible for a booster, get one. Following a flight readiness review yesterday, NASA has officially declared Artemis 1 a go for launch on this Monday, the 29th. No substantive technical issues were found during the readiness test, and NASA's Associate Administrator for Exploration Systems Deployment, Jim Free, told press, quote, We actually had no actions coming out of the review, and we had no dissenting opinions. End quote. Everything looks good for our return to the moon. Now, as a reminder, because I know I talk about it a lot on this podcast, but I literally spoke to someone last night who had no clue that we're going back to the moon at all, so people still don't know. Artemis 1 is the first flight of a new rocket, the SLS Mega Rocket, and a new spacecraft, the Orion spacecraft, both of which have been built to return astronauts to the moon this decade. The SLS may even take astronauts to Mars one day in the future. Now, no astronauts will be on this exploratory mission launching on Monday, but NASA is billing it as the kickoff for our return to the moon, since it's the first time that they're sending a crew-capable spacecraft to the moon in 50 years. And pending everything going well on this Artemis 1 mission, Artemis 2 will deploy the same spacecraft and rocket with actual astronauts aboard in 2024, not just the test mannequins that'll be flying up next week. Mission manager Mike Serafin emphasized in a statement to the press, quote, This is the first flight of a new rocket and a new spacecraft. We're doing something that is incredibly difficult to do and does carry inherent risk in it, end quote. And that said, mission managers also said yesterday that they are planning to push the spacecraft beyond parameters that they've set for subsequent crewed missions just to make sure everything is really and truly tested. The Orion spacecraft will be going out to, around, and beyond the moon for a roughly 40-day mission. And at 40,000 miles beyond the moon, this will be the furthest that any spacecraft built for humans has ever flown. As Space.com puts it, quote, Unlike Apollo, Artemis is not designed to be a flags and footprints operation. End quote. And continuing from a quote from the main Artemis mission page, we will collaborate with commercial and international partners and establish the first long-term presence on the moon. Then we will use what we learn on and around the moon to take the next giant leap, sending the first astronauts to Mars. End quote. And some of those in-between steps before Mars will include the Gateway Spaceship, which will live in lunar orbit and serve as a transfer between Orion spacecraft and the lunar lander, as well as function as a general hub for living and working. And eventually there are plans for an Artemis base camp, a permanent place to live and work on the moon's south pole. So this Monday's launch is the beginning of a whole new era, and for such a historic flight, NASA has planned quite the event. 
Full coverage of the launch event will begin at 6.30 a.m. Eastern Time on Monday the 29th on NASA TV and streamed on the agency's app and website. Launch is targeted for a two-hour window that opens at 8.33 a.m. Eastern. An hour after the live launch broadcast, there will be a post-launch press conference, and later in the day, there will be live coverage of Orion's first outbound trajectory burn, as well as the first views of Earth from Orion. But early in the morning, as we await liftoff, NASA has announced appearances by actors Jack Black, Chris Evans, and Kiki Palmer, as well as performances of The Star-Spangled Banner by Josh Groban and Herbie Hancock, and of America the Beautiful by the Philadelphia Orchestra and Yo-Yo Ma. A pretty star-studded launch event. I mean, they booked actual Buzz Lightyear. Pretty big get. Meanwhile, Jack Black is just keeping up the family business. His mom was an Apollo-era NASA engineer who literally went to work while she was in labor with him and kept working from the hospital bed in between contractions. Total boss. I know I've mentioned that before, but it's one of my favorite fun facts. And if you want a cool and smart person to experience the launch vicariously through, my friend and host of PBS's Far Out series, Swapna Krishna, will be down at Cape Canaveral live-tweeting the launch all morning. Link to her Twitter to follow along is in the show notes. NASA has been planning and pumping out all sorts of virtual activities to drum up excitement for the launch. They've been encouraging people to use the hashtag NASAMoonSnap to share any moon-related content that you're desires. There's also a virtual launch event that you can RSVP for, which will include curated launch resources, notifications about related opportunities, and a stamp that you can add to a virtual passport. If you want to learn more about the SLS Mega Rocket and Orion spacecraft, NASA has also been steadily releasing new installments of a docu-series called Path to the Pad on their YouTube channel. And the BBC has a video going in-depth on the SLS rocket's technology with very cool VR-like graphics. NASA also has a boatload of activity suggestions for students, teachers, and families to learn more about the science behind the mission, including science experiments, web comics, and full STEM curriculums. You know, it never ceases to amaze me just how much educational content is out there just free for the taking from places like NASA, museums, national parks, libraries. They all just want to help us learn more about the world, or the whole universe, and each other but they're not great at promoting how much they actually have to offer, so that's part of why I don't shut up about it. There's just so much cool stuff happening in the world and so many ways we can all get involved. You just gotta know where to look. But on Monday, I will be looking exactly one place. Up. Or really, at my TV, but, you know, the metaphoric up sounded better. Movie Pass is coming back, and if you want in on the exclusive beta round, you have, as of recording, one day, 16 hours, and 40 minutes to make sure you get on the waitlist. MoviePass, the $9.95 a month movie ticket subscription service that went up in flames back in 2019, has been teasing a reboot for a while. I did a brief segment on some of their Web3 ideas for their return back in February, link in the show notes, including an idea to have people earn credits by watching ads and using facial recognition technology to make sure that those users' eyes are actually watching the ads. Not like Black Mirror at all. 
You can sign up for the beta launch to get priority access for yourself and 10 friends at 10, 20, or $30 tiers, which come with different amounts of credits that you can redeem for movie tickets, with credit amounts and what they can be used for varying based on your home market. Given the company's controversies and poor public image, as well as the fact that most major movie theater chains in the U.S. launched their own subscription services to compete with MoviePass years ago, I'm very curious what, if any, success MoviePass will see with this reboot. And speaking of major movie theater chains subscription services, I want to recommend an interesting long read from Bloomberg about AMC Theater's CEO Adam Aaron, who has become something of an online darling ever since AMC was picked as a meme stock last year. I haven't seen him say anything recently about MoviePass, but seeing as he's kind of the industry pro on loyalty programs, I'd be very curious to hear his thoughts on this potential returning competitor. Link in the show notes to read all about his uh, interesting career and persona. But that is going to be it from me for today. This show was produced by Ride Home Media. I'm Jackson Bird, and I will talk to you again tomorrow.